Welcome to another episode of the Scrumcast. I'm Clayton Langelzigic. I'm Derek Neighbors. I'm Drew Lesweer. I'm Roy Van Water. Uh, today we're going to be looking through some tweets from uh, Twitter uh, using the uh, if you search for the hashtag Scrum. And so we're just going to read the uh, the tweet and then we're going to discuss. So the first one is from at PMO Observer, and it says, "Always deliver what you commit to. No more, no less." Hmm. So I'll bite on that one. Um, <laughs> I like the idea that uh, there is no wishy-washiness in this one. It's pretty firm, um, pretty strong stance towards commitment. Um, however, I don't like that it's quite so rigid in a standpoint of if you could deliver more, why wouldn't you? And there are chances where you may not be able to commit to everything, and I don't think that's the end of the world. Um, I think the word, word always is probably what gets me. Um, I think if it said that you should always strive to uh, deliver what you commit to, I think that I would be okay with that statement. So I I think that you have a problem, too, with the over part, like the yes. idea of don't, like, if you have the opportunity right. to do more. But I actually kind of like that from the perspective of I've seen a lot of times when somebody is working on something that they um, they go down a huge rabbit hole trying to make this awesome feature that's not even necessary yet and I, I'm hoping that's what they're trying to address with the never don't deliver more than what you committed to as in don't go down rabbit holes trying to build features that your product owner may not even find value in yeah I mean I, I think I'm okay with that uh, viewpoint of it if you know, maybe maybe if you said don't com- don't commit to uh, no more than what you committed to until you finished what you've committed right. to, then yeah, I'd be yeah, completely on board. And I, and I think that's something that we've done in the past too. When we've had people say like, oh, but I could add this really cool feature. It's like, all right, well, let's get everything we committed to done first, and then if we have time left over, then we can do that, or we can pull it in the next sprint if we can sell it to the product owner. Uh, so this next one's from at Elizabeth Rayley. Uh, it says Scrum rule. No additional requirements can be added to a sprint! Exclamation point. And there's a link, but I didn't read it. So, I think as a general principle, it's not necessarily a bad idea. I mean, especially if you have product owners that are constantly trying to squeeze things in during the middle of the week. Like, something that rigid may be necessary to kind of set the precedent. Like, if you have a precedent where people are constantly coming in. But... If you have a high-functioning team and something comes up in the middle of the sprint and it's an, a, an emergency, I mean, maybe maybe it's time for an abnormal sprint termination. That may, that may be the, be the better option. What do you think, Derek? So I, I'll say that I, I like the concept of setting a boundary, right, and saying that once we get started that, you know, um, we shouldn't be adding new things um, to the sprint. Mm-hmm. However, I'm a huge fan of negotiation, um, meaning there are times where we may want to remove things from the sprint. And how would we feel if we had a product owner that said, no matter what, under any circumstance, can you ever remove anything from a sprint? Sure. Um, and so I would say, you know, I guess let's talk about the humaneness of uh, being pragmatic in what makes sense. And so I would say it's a good ground rule, um, but I don't like it as an absolute truism. Sure. I, I totally agree. So if they want to say, oh, can we do this? Sure, we can do that, but... What we'll have to take out something. So, what are you willing to remove so that we can add that feature? Right. And I, I think I, I agree de- with that negotiation. I think ideally it shouldn't have have to happen. Like I don't think that should be happening all the time. But if it comes up, and it's a once in a every once in a while thing, and it's not going to impact that big, 
Like, I don't see any reason why you have to be legalistic about it. Yeah, and I would also say that, you know, if you're talking about adding a new feature or a new story, I, I think that's a lot more dangerous territory mm-hmm. if you're talking about adding some minor acceptance criteria. By the way, this thing has to be blue. Uh, like, right. You know, then I'd, I'd say that that becomes negotiable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next one's from uh, at Scrumology, and it's about comparing velocity between teams. And he uses that phrase, not everything that can be counted counts. And not everything that counts can be counted. So what do we think about comparing velocity between teams? Good idea? Bad idea? I don't, I don't know if you'd really get much out of comparing the velocity of two teams. I think a velocity is very specific to that team. Like if I wanted a higher velocity, I would estimate everything proportionally higher. And I think that if you have two different teams doing two separate estimates, I don't think that that's necessarily a measuring stick you can use. But I'm a manager and I've got two teams and I need to see which one's better. I mean, I suppose as a manager, you should have some type of uh, way of figuring out what what the business value is, and I would look at it purely which team is delivering more, me more business value. I, I don't know if that's a better solution because that might not work in all cases either. But I, that's just comparing velocities to velocities. That's not going to work because then I'll be the best team because I'm going to have a velocity of 100 every time. But but you know, at, doing a text change is going to be a 13 point story. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, not all teams are the same. So what if one team has four people and what, what if one te- team has ten people, um, et cetera? I guess I would, you know, I, I'm a big fan of analogies, so maybe I would use an analogy and I would say that um, if we compare the quarter-mile time of a Porsche to a quarter-mile time of a dump truck, everybody should want a Porsche, yet there's a whole lot of dump trucks sold. Why is that? All right, so the next one is from R.S. Lawrence. Uh, and this was a blog post that he wrote. It says, in case you missed it over the weekend, why longer sprints probably won't help. So I I think I really like that. I think there are a ton of people that say, I need a longer sprint because our stories are so big that they don't fit into two weeks, <laughs> right? And I would argue that you shouldn't have a story that, that doesn't fit into one week or even less. Like, if you have that problem, then the issue is not that you have – the issue is not that your sprint can't be under two weeks because your stories are too big. The issue is that, that your stories are too big, and that's a problem you should be addressing and splitting that down into smaller subsets of features. Because there's – first off, if you have a planning meeting for one story that's over two weeks long, there's no way you're going to be able to uh, capture all of the acceptance criteria or all, all of the, the things that need to be correct. And then you're putting all of your eggs in one basket as far as sprint success as well. Like one thing's wrong, the entire sprint is filled. Right. Whereas if you're able to split up into smaller pieces of functionality, you first off are diversifying your risk because you're able to still still get like 80, maybe 90 percent of all of your stories done. And you give the product owner more flexibility because they may not realize that particular subsets of your big feature are optional. And they may choose to cut out three-fourths or, or a fourth of, of your, what you thought was one big story because there are all these small little details that aren't necessary to deliver the core business value. Right. Like th- we do that a lot uh, is if we have a story that's huge, we'll we'll real quickly split it up into a smaller story. Um, like just like Roy said, you know, like diminishing returns. You know, we can do maybe fifty percent of the story or this functionality of the story, and that's the essence of what we wanted. Right. And the rest of the stuff we can worry about later. So yeah, it's it's something I think that's easy to do. Also, if um, you know, if you're coding in a modular fashion, you know, if you're using good code practices, it makes it even easier to split up, you know, separate functionalities of a, of a story into multiple stories. 
And working on a quicker release cycle means you closing the feedback loop. So you're demoing every single Friday, or if you're if you're doing weekly sprint, which I I'm a huge fan of because that's something that we've historically done. But that means that you're demoing every single Friday, and you find out week one if something is completely going haywire instead of week four. Yeah, I mean, I I think one of the number one reasons I don't like longer sprint cycles or duration lengths are, um, you know, it's the typical. Again, going back to analogies, you know, if you give a kid a term paper and you tell them they've got two months to do it, mm-hmm. they don't spread it an hour across every day for two months. They wait until two nights before the paper is due, and then they work for 16 hours during, you know, a 24-hour period to um, pump everything out. And I think that teams have a similar – most teams have similar sprint signatures where the beginning of their sprints – um, are probably not super productive, and towards the end of the sprint, they get infinitely more productive. And so, if you can, you know, shorten that cycle, you're productive more often, um, just by the nature of your, you've got deadlines more often. And so, it's the, you know, time uh, work will expand to the time allotted to complete it. If you shorten the the t- time allotted, you're going to get things done quicker. All right. So the next one is from R Ramirez four 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 four. Is that enough force? Yeah, at AOL.com, sounds like. Anyway. Right. Uh, so what are the two best qualities of a good Scrum Master? <laughs> no good. That's a mythical yeah. creature, a good Scrum Master. She does say that non-SM respondents are given more weight on this one. So maybe since we're Scrum Masters, we can't uh, can't think of anything good. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... Uh, I mean, a first name of Roy helps. <laughs> You know, I, I think um, a, a scrum master is, you know, a good scrum master is someone uh, who gets the best out of the team. Um, and I think a, a big part of that is someone who's able to, um, I don't want to say mediate, but someone who's able to um, have a high level of emotional intelligence. So I would say emotional intelligence and um, the ability to bring out the best of team members. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to pick the next good one here. Uh, okay, how about this one? This is from uh, Alec Hardy, uh, at Alec Hardy. Purpose of sprint review is to inspect and adapt. Demo during review is to prompt, inspect, and adapt conversation. Do you think that's the purpose of the demo? So the inspect and adapt always, that that seems to me like that's, that's a big retro thing, right? Uh, maybe I didn't quite understand. Let me read it real quick. I'll read it again. Purpose of sprint review is to inspect and adapt. Demo during sprint review is to prompt, inspect, and adapt conversation. Sounds to me like they're maybe mixing retrospective and demo into uh, a a single ceremony. Um, To me, historically, a sprint review, i.e. a demo, is to demonstrate the work delivered and uh, make sure that everything's complete and to kind of tie off all loose ends um, to make sure that the sprint is completely done. And the retrospective is where you would actually uh, go through the process of inspecting, you know, what what went on with the sprint, and then to basically adapt, uh, you know, come up with something for the following sprint to adapt to make it better. I think that's kind of my difficulty too, is that it seems like they're using two words, which, in my context and experience, mean the same thing. But it, it sounds like a lot of people use the term sprint review, a demo, and a retrospective, like alternatively, like. I think people just assign different meanings to them, and that makes it a little confusing. So I'm not quite sure what they intend with this, because I, yeah, I see the demo as sprint review, which is kind of the same thing. 
All right, so this next one's from Cassio Nunez. It says, There are those who believe quality can be sacrificed in the interest of time. They are wrong. They are maybe not always wrong. I mean, you can sacrifice quality in the interest of time in the short term. I think if you're going to be supporting a project in the long term, you're not really sacrificing the time in the long term. But, I mean, if you're a startup and you're trying to get a product out the door and start generating some revenue right now, like you got to get something out there. You don't you don't have time to be 100% test coverage. Like you should be releasing the first week or the second week and get it out the door. And even if it's got a few bugs, that's okay because you need to not be concentrating on generating a perfect product, but generating what your customers, your eventual customers are actually going to need. Yeah, this one sounds like it's saying that technical debt is always bad. Yeah, I, th- I think that we had a scrum cast on this. If you look back in our archives, we talked a little bit about when is it okay to sacrifice, when is it okay not to test, I believe was the the, the title of the episode. And I, I think that it really, you know, one of the things I took away from that is it really depends on how how long you're having to live with the product and how long you're developing, right? So mm-hmm. if you're, you know, doing something for a couple of weeks and you're not necessarily having to live with it, maybe it's a prototype, sure, you can make that sacrifice. For something you've got to live long term or you're doing development for, you know, more than four or five weeks that way, um, yeah, you're probably going to end up spending more time fixing your problems than you saved by getting it to market soon. And I don't think it's a black and white skill either. No. Like, it's not 100% test coverage or 0% test coverage or 100% good, uh, you know, you can... You can scale that up and down depending on what the needs require. I think it's too easy, though, to say, like, oh, we're in a deadline, we're in a crunch, and we got to throw testing out the window because screw quality, we got to get this done now. I, I think that's an easy mistake that a lot of people make initially, and that, that should be avoided. But I think that, I don't know, we, we had a podcast a while ago, too, about whether or not the product owner had any say in the quality. And I think that this is a good example in which the product owner does have a good say in the in the quality because it's not necessarily up to only the developers in this case. Yeah, I, th- I think the tendency there is, the natural tendency is to, um, you know, cut on quality and just get something out the door. Uh, but okay. then there are also other people who will spend forever on the same project and never release it. So um, I think maybe each person has to look at where they are and maybe kind of counterbalance their, their natural tendency to do one or the other. Mm-hmm. All right, so this next one, and I'm going to butcher the name, but it's uh, at Vashish Tashk. It says, it's always good to have fully functional software instead of half-functional but fully featured software. The common theme here is the absolutes. It reminds me of a phrase that says, all absolutes, or sorry, I messed that one up. Oh, all assholes go. speak in absolutes. All right. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to me it, it goes back to, yeah, I for the most part I pretty much agree with the, the statement. Um, but you know, there are times where, you know, maybe being able to demonstrate somewhat how the functionality works is the difference between the company staying alive from venture investment or some, some other element, um, and getting the feedback on that is more important than, you know, it actually fully functioning. Although I do think that's a pretty rare exception. Yeah. And I think regarding absolutes though, like, I mean, if you want to make a statement and catch somebody's eye, uh, you got to make an absolute. Otherwise you wouldn't have brought it up in this, this, uh, scrum cast. So. Like I, I don't necessarily see anything wrong with that, but I, I think that we agree that, generally speaking in life, there really aren't very many abs- absolutes. All right, I think Roy gets the last word for that one, so we're out of time. Oh, I get the last word again. Yes, exciting. All right. Uh, so catch you next time. Maybe we'll uh, be able to see if Roy can get the last word. We or should have a high score else. chart. Ooh, yeah, that's a good idea. We'll do that. All right. Thanks. Thanks.